Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. stand with me. I want to read to you from the book of Psalms. I want to share with you something the Lord has shared with me that I have just, I have absolutely been changed about this. Uh, Not too long ago, I was speaking with an individual who told me uh, some woes in her life and and, uh, Lord, she had, she had plenty of woes. And uh, I, I really didn't have any anything to tell her, but just to hang on. You just, you just hang on and keep doing what you know to do is right, and you'll look up one day and wonder how God brought you through that. A lot of times we look for something thunderous or, or, or something exciting to happen uh, all of a sudden, but sometimes it's just God dragging us through it. And I, I want to tell you, if you can stand the pulling, God can pull you through. But sometimes it's up to us to hang on. Psalm chapter 23, verse number one, the Bible said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod, thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I believe David hung on, don't you? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I think his mind was made up. Amen. Savior, thank you today for your word. Thank you for this people who've come to your house. God, I know that this is the congregation of the righteous, bought, purchased by your blood, having visited Calvary, God. Believe every word written in the pages of this holy writ. God, I'm asking you to open our understanding today. Give us your anointing upon our mind and help us, God, to make application with what we hear. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And everybody said amen. Amen. You can be seated. God bless you so much. I want you to keep your Bibles open here, if you will. There's a couple of things that I I want to try to bring out uh, for us this morning. Before we leave, I want us to know that we have been in the presence of the Lord. I want us to know that we have been impacted by his word. And when you get in the car and, and if, if, if your spouse is there with you, maybe, this, maybe today something will happen that you just, you just look across the car and say, honey, I was so glad I was in church today. Amen. I appreciate this congregation. I appreciate your hospitality. You've always extended the right hand of fellowship to us. Uh, and again, I, I, I say I appreciate 
Brother Boyd, that, that as, I, as I've sit, sit here and stood here and witnessed the goings-on in his house today, in God's house, uh, I can truly say that uh, your pastor does the common uncommonly well. It's something that stands out about how, and, 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 and I appreciate that because we're not just here together as another status quo service. This is not just something that we do because the fish aren't biting and it's not hunting season. This is not something we do just to spend a little time waiting for something else to happen later on. This is something that has become our life. It's in God's house. This is something that we want to do. We have chosen to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to break this down here a little bit, and I, I'm not going to give you my title yet. I'm saving that. But uh, I want to break this down here just a little bit if I can and tell you these three great consolations that David left us in the 23rd Psalm that has basically gone down in infamy for the people of God. I can remember being just a very young lad. I wasn't raised in truth, but uh, when vacation Bible uh, school came around at the Baptist church, it was a good time for mom to get a break from us. And so we went to vacation Bible school. And I, I still remember learning the 23rd Psalm. And I read that for you today just because I, I have uh, conviction on reading the word of the Lord. But I, I believe all of us could quote this. And if you couldn't quote that, and somebody did begin to quote it, you could say, hey, I know that is the 23rd Psalm. David had some things here that he leaned on. Number one, he said, I shall not want. I, I just, I've, I've got confidence that I, I'm not going to go lacking. I might not have everything that I want, but want here doesn't mean the things necessarily that I desire as much as it does the things that we need. Now, I am fully confident this morning that I'll never have to stand in the soup line. I just don't believe I'll ever have to be there. I'm not saying that I'm better than anybody else. It's just because I have believed that the word of the Lord is going to be true in every situation and that I believe the word of God is going to back itself. You don't have to prop it up or crutch it up or support it up. It stands by itself. I don't have to run somebody else's doctrine down to make truth look good. All I have to do is proclaim truth and it looks good all by itself. And God said that if you give, it shall be given. Packed down, shaken together, and running over. And that's a promise of the Lord. David said, I was once young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken. And I believe all of us here today, we can all stand and say with great fervor that I don't believe the righteous will ever be forsaken by the Lord. You believe that, don't you? But there were some that would look on to David's life and say, well, Mr. King, it's only right that you should say that because after all, you're a king. You have everything at your beck and call. You live in the greatest palaces. You wear the greatest apparel. You drive or ride rather in the greatest chariots. You have the greatest livestock, the horses to pull those. Everything your hearts desire, all you have to say is, I want that, and it becomes yours. So how can you tell me that God's promises are good for the commoner like me? I remember one comical story several years ago. There was a young preacher preaching at the home church, and I was just 
young preacher myself, and boy, we was just preaching away, and he said, I, and he, he told all of the church folks, he said, Brother Boyd, he said, if they're climbing your light pole to cut your utilities off, you don't have to worry. <laughs> a few days later, there was an elder gentleman in the church who had been kind of like an uncle to me, and we were fishing together. And he said, you remember, brother so-and-so, he said, you remember when he said that we don't need to worry when they're climbing our light pole and there's nothing in our... I said, yes, sir, I remember that. He said, I don't need that kid telling me that. I didn't know how to respond because I knew what the preacher was saying. But he was saying to me, he said, if you're going to tell me about the blessing of God, and, and pardon the old adage, but I think you folks understand this. He said, I want to see some corn in the crib. I want to see some proof in the pudding. I want to see where God has blessed you and you stood the test of time. And so these, these are the things that they were wanting David to, to uh, prove to them. The burden of proof had fallen upon David. You fall upon David. If you want to tell me that God's able to bless, I want to see where God's blessed you. Well, he might be king now, but if you knew David when he was just a mere shepherd boy, you'll understand the provision that he had came from God. And whether he had great provision or very little, he understood that God was able to take care of him. So I'm going to tell you here today, the things that you see of this preacher, I, I might have a, a, a nice tie and a nice suit, but it wasn't always that way. <laughs> but I'm here to tell all of us, whether you be visitor or, or, or home uh, saint, home person, whatever the case is, that serving God is just that good. I didn't come to the altar and repent of my sins hoping that God would bless me with health, wealth, and prosperity. I wanted God to give me the cup of salvation that the preacher had been telling me about. I'm not prosperous by any of the world's means today. I make it the way a lot of you folks make it. But I think that things are much better now than it was when I was 18. <laughs> there was times when I put my last two bucks in to get to church and wanted a Coke with that gas but couldn't have it. But I kept serving God anyway. I keep living for God anyway. And I'm telling you what God said. His promises are true and yea, man. I feel like that we are like Abraham this morning, that we are fully persuaded that what he had promised, he is able also to perform. That the old covenant said, I'll give you houses you didn't build. And I'll give you vineyards you didn't plant. And I'll let you drink from wells that you didn't dig. I'm telling you, God's people are blessed people. Hallelujah to God. My cup runneth over, he said. There are other cups in the Bible, the cup of wrath, the cup of affliction, uh, the, the cup of blessing. But this cup here was something different. This was not the cup of God's wrath or the cup of judgment or the cup of affliction. This was symbolic of God's provision of his blessing to us. That woman that I told you about initially this morning she just began to tell me about everything that was going wrong. Her life had went south. The wheels fell off of her life, and she just couldn't figure out how she was going to bring it all back together. 
And she said, I know that I have to trust God and I know that I can't get bitter against God because I'm gonna need him to lean on. I said, you are so right, sister. You cannot get bitter against God. You look around and see everybody else getting blessed and everybody else is being provided for and you yourself, you just can't see how God is not hearing your prayer or answering your prayer. My God, hold on to your faith. Don't let it become so frustrated that you stop praying and you stop believing in God. God, let a whole generation die off in the wilderness simply because of their unbelief. And I'm telling us this morning that unbelief is still a sin and it still displeases God. The woman concluded her tale of woes to me. She said, my plate is full. I just can't take any more. I want to give you my title this morning. I, I, I'm not going to hold you here for a terribly long time, but I didn't drive all the way here to give you a 10-minute sermonette. I want to preach to you this morning. <laughs> she said, my plate is full. And when I drove off from there, I thought, you know, I thought about what David said. My cup runneth over. And I thought, if my cup is full, I can deal with life when my plate is full. This is the place that I keep coming back to. This is the place that you keep coming back to when life is stacked against you and you sit in your living room and you're talking to your wife or you're talking to your husband and you, it just looks like bankruptcy is the only way out and it's you that's sitting in the hallway of the hospital when, when the miscarriage has happened and you don't understand where it went wrong and, and it's you that has to look at your wife when she said, I wonder if my baby is making it to heaven if God's got a place there. It's you, my friend, that's standing there waiting for a diagnosis from the doctor because you don't understand why it is that you at 38 got cancer and you don't understand why your finances are coming together after you have given and committed everything to God and you don't understand why your child gets 15 years old and automatically hates his mama and hates his daddy my God I want us to understand something today it's the place right here that I keep coming back to when life fills my plate up I want to make sure that God has filled my cup up. I want to make sure that the cup of blessing is full because I can't deal with life's full plate if I don't have God's full cup. Jesus was preaching to them one day and Jesus said, beware of the cares of life. I know in other places he gave the caveat against sin and adultery and looking places you shouldn't look, but not this time. This time Jesus said, beware of the cares of life. Amen. You know what I believe? I believe a lot of people who leave God, God forbid anybody should backslide, but the fact remains that they do, elder. And I believe by and large a lot of them that do backslide, they not backslide desiring to go back and sin. It's just that life has overwhelmed them. It's just that they feel so beaten down that when they can't lift their hands in freedom and liberty to worship God, they just would really rather not be there. When they can't identify to the preacher preaching about freedom and liberty, they don't want to hear it. When they can't identify with the songs of Zion telling us about heaven and the hope of glory, they'd really rather not hear it. So they stay away. The cares of life. This time, not the sins of the flesh, but the light bill. 
but keeping a job or finding another job when they just laid you off or worrying about how to repair the car that gets you to that job that sustains your home when it's broken down. It's just the things we care about. It's not necessarily sin. It's just the things that we care about. We worry about our spouse and we worry about our children and we worry about our job. Those sleepless nights, they come in consecutive order. We can't cut them off. We can't turn them off. I have sleepless nights. I had one last night. Finest bed I've ever laid in in my life. And I lay there mad because I can't sleep. Told my wife this morning, I believe Satan tries to rob me of my sleep so I can't preach to my full effectiveness. I'm going to defy him here today and tell you I'm going to declare God's peace and safety. And God's refuge is still in his altar. You can't circumvent the altar on your way to glory. You can't bypass Calvary on your way to heaven. And you can't get around God's mercies that were new this morning if you want to hear him say, well done. Your cup has to be full. (laughs) David said, I will fear no evil. What a great consolation. I'm just not going to be scared of anything that life has. But the greatest of all of these three is when he said, for thou art with me. As part of ministry, we we pastored uh, for about five years since our last being here and uh, being on a, as as you had mentioned this morning, to use your verbiage, we have been challenged on all fronts to being in perspective of the pastor was far different than it was as an evangelist such as I'm filling that role here this morning. But I, I recall folks calling me and they wanted to know about reverse mortgages. <laughs> they wanted to know about CDs and where they put their money. How many cans of beans to buy when they go on sale? I don't know. I don't know where to put your money. I have no idea about reverse mortgage. I can't grocery shop for you. We live on hamburgers. <laughs> I don't know. And I wanted to say that, but I wanted to sound so intellectual and say, well, sis, you need to do your homework. You need to look into that. I knew a gentleman that done that one time. When all, I'm just, I really don't know. (laughs) Brother boy, they they would sit in my office and say, I still got this smoking problem I can't beat. And I'd say, sis, for 35 years you've done this. And God's blood is able to deliver you in an instant. But don't you think for one minute that the spirit of darkness wants to willingly turn you ago. He don't want to turn you loose that easy. You keep coming back to Calvary. You keep coming back to the blood. When life has filled your plate, you come back and get your cup full Sunday. When it's been more than you can handle on Saturday, you come back on Sunday. Oh, my God. Hallelujah. I I don't have the answers to all of your questions, but it's one thing that I do have is the solution to life. I can tell you how to deal with living. You 
the one who gives life. Hallelujah to God. I thought about the prayer of Christ and many times I've gone back there and I thought, Lord, if there's anything anywhere in the Bible that I could pattern my life after when I come to you in consecration and I want to rededicate, continually rededicate my life to you, there's, a, there's something that I can do. There's some fundamental basic of New Testament doctrine that I can come back to and the Lord's prayer kept coming over and over and over back to my mind. And he began to pray this in, in Matthew chapter 6. And, and I understand that we're, we don't pray that verbatim necessarily, but he gave us a pattern for prayer. Right. Take heed that you do not your alms before men. And, and, and let, me, let me just share a little with you, and, and, and I'm going I'm to read to you just a little bit of something that I've applied to that. There's no way I can remember all of this, but these are my thoughts, and I've jotted them down. Jesus said, take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Now, what, what I've done with this, Brother Boyd, is try to, try to bring New Testament doctrine from 2,000 years ago and make it applicable to where we live today. Who are we today for this 2,000-year-old message to work for us? Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. And then I just addressed it to where we are today. Now, I'm going to tell you, mainstream religion today lives on a concept of philanthropy. Are you familiar with what that is? Philanthropy is just when you do good to somebody else. We, we, we send money overseas. They have an earthquake. We send money to them. They have a tornado. We send money. And I'm not opposed to that. I think it's part of who we are. Being, being considerate and giving and uh, generous, that's just part of the people of God. That characterizes us. But mainstream religion has been built upon philanthropy. Not so much doctrine when the Bible said all scriptures given for the all scriptures given by the inspiration of God is profitable unto doctrine and for reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God might be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So before we do good works, we have to have doctrine. Otherwise, it stands by itself. But we live in a world today that says you, you do good. We've got angel food ministries back back home, and and there are churches that do that, and. And uh, my mom is helped by that. Cancer had put her in early retirement. She lives on $700 a month. So I've seen people firsthand that deal with the hardships of life. And so there are churches that have what they call angel food ministries once a month. They give this big box of, of, of food that's been contributed by retailers or grocers by, in the community. But philanthropy, that, that doing good to, to humanity, that can't replace who we are in doctrine. We still preach repentance and baptism in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ and the necessity of the Holy Ghost. That's who we are. But we give, we give to Haiti and we're saved. We give to Chile and we're saved. We give to Mexico and we're saved. And we can't find any, any kind of catastrophic event in the world to give to. We just we give to the local cats and dogs and we want to save their life. We just give, give, just give, and that replaces doctrine in our life. Sadly to say, it doesn't do that. Jesus addressed that 2,000 years ago. He said, when you give your alms, don't do that before men to be seen of them. But yet, here we are. He said, when you pray in your closet and you shut through the door, pray to your Father, which is in secret. And my thought was, that personal prayer closet was silenced by the world of entertainment. No time for prayer, all entertainment. For your Father knoweth what things you have needed them before you ask. And yet we worry 
about how we're going to provide, how we're going to take care. We worry about the car. Remember me talking about that? We worry about the job. We worry about our health. And Jesus saying, he already has need. No, he knows your need. Before you ever have the need, he knows about that. And we live in a world where the Bible said would come that men's hearts would fail them for fear, for desperation, despondency, depression. My God, have you ever seen the likes of depressed people that just cannot smile because they're so worried? I knew a lady, everything was going good. She, uh, she, her and her husband it was well into the six digits, two-story house, new car, uh, new truck, acreage, swimming pool, everything material, and the man just preached about it Friday night. And yet, we have a constant flow of medication to help with our depression. Many times, she couldn't even get out of bed for days because she was so depressed. We're living in a world, my friend, that is much more oppressive, I believe, than anything we knew 30 or 40 years ago. Society seems to despise the name when the Lord said to pray that our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallelujah. His will replaces our will. We, we, we pray. Jesus said 2,000 years ago, give us this day. I want you to pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, I know we pray and we thank God for our food. But I doubt seriously if any of us here today have to pray for our food. And Jesus was saying to them 2,000 years ago, I want you to pray, God, give us this day our daily bread. We don't really do that. We don't really worry about what we're going to eat tomorrow. Unless it's something we want, not the fact that we're going to eat, just what we want to eat. We have, we have been raised, and I'm speaking of, of my generation, we have been raised in a society of, of debt, easy credit, easy come, easy go. And uh, not long after I got married, I was shaken by this. I thought, you know, I don't believe that this is the will of God that people should live so oppressed by the systems of our financial world. I, j I just don't believe that. And I know there are times that we do what we have to do. But when the Bible said the borrower is slave to the lender, it didn't lie. Now, I'm sure it has hit the news here of recent, our, our national debt. And I don't mean to bore you with some political details, but I'm trying to make a point to where we live 2,000 years down the road from when Jesus patterned this prayer. <clears throat> Some 16 point trillion dollars. It, it's going so fast it's hard to keep up with. But do you realize that the consumer debt rivals that? Consumer, that's me and you. That's people like us. That's people that work a job, that go to the bank, sign the papers, finance the next 48 months. And, and that's us. I, I, know, I know a fellow back home uh, he'll, he'll finance his wheels and his tires and long after long after they're worn out he's still paying the note and I'm saying dude you're 43 years old you don't need tires this big you're not skidding logs in the wood you don't need that I'm saying where's the feasibility where's the responsibility kick in somewhere in somebody's life it has to 
Consumers owe $11.4 trillion in debt. It's no wonder. It's no wonder that we need some medication to go along with this. It's no wonder we worry about our job. It's because 11.4, and if that's not astounding enough, last year over $800 billion of that was passed due 90 days. That would drive me up the wall. And yet the general public, when it comes campaigning time and election time, we'll just throw our candidates under the bus because they put us in debt. <laughs> they might have put the country in debt, but consumers have piled on $11.4 trillion. God help me to have my cup full. I don't care to fill it up. And, and, and I'm going to tell you, long before I came even to camp meeting, probably a week before, God had put this in my heart for this morning. <laughs> we worry about gas prices, and we worry about who's going to be president, and we worry about what decision Washington is going to make. But my friend, our problem, I submit to us today, is not in Washington. Our problem is within us. If there's one, we need to come back to God. If we're going to wander in the wilderness, we need to wander with the mindset that God's going to rain the manna down today. I don't have to worry about where the meat's coming from. All I have to do is pick my manna up every morning. My cup shall be full. Now, I understand that a lot of the problems that society has and a lot of the problems that people we know have and I'm going to go a step further and say a lot of the problems and heartache that you and I have are problems that we've welcomed and problems that we've solicited. But what if there's problems that we didn't ask for? What if it's us that's having to say goodbye to a loved one? What if it's us trying to pick out a casket for some unforeseen tragedy that happened? What if it's us that got the diagnosis from the doctor that said you've only got six months to live? We didn't ask for any of that. But a lot of times what we do, Pastor, is we kind of cross up the diagnosis with the prognosis. We want to give life too much credit. We want to give the doctor too much credit. <clears throat> you see, I'm all about letting the doctor give me a diagnosis. That's when he determines what my disease is. But I think as a child of God, he's gone over the line when he tries to give me the prognosis. You see, the diagnosis is when they identify what's wrong. But the prognosis is when they tell you what's going to happen when what's wrong with you. He don't need to tell me what's going to happen. I believe God is still in control. I believe that God is still on the throne. I believe that God still sits on the circle of the earth and rules in the affairs of man. I believe he still has the waters of the earth in the hallow of his hand. I know the God that give me the prognosis. And he said it's going to be all right. He said you don't need to worry. Oh, hallelujah to God. But preacher, you don't understand what they told me. They told me the mill's going to shut down and everybody is going to be unemployed in 90 days. And the prognosis is I'm going to be on the street. I'm going to be out there with no way to provide and make a living. But the prognosis that God says is I've never seen the righteous forsaken. 
are his seed begging bread. As I was with Moses, so I shall be with you. I've never left you and I've never forsaken you. Pick your man up in the morning. Look at how God smiled on your life. Look at how God's blessed your children. Look at how God's provided for you. And what he's done the last 25 years, he'll do until he takes you out of here. He's still God and he doesn't change. Oh, glory to God. I still believe in this blessed book when I've got problems in my life, I go back to this, but preacher this and but preacher that doesn't apply. And being weary and well-doing is not an option for the child of God. We believe his word and we stand on his promises. And may I say again that what he promised, he is able also to perform. I, 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 thought, about, I thought about this morning as I was in here in prayer and I was... I was seeking God, and Lord, I, 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 don't know, I don't know what I was seeking. I just said, God, I want you to help us today, and the Holy Ghost just moved in. And I walked around this, and I just wept, and I felt such a tenderness of the Holy Ghost, brother boy. And I said to myself, if these people feel this all the time, they are a blessed people. Their cup is already full. But if you're here this morning, my friend, and you've never experienced the joy of Pentecost, you've never had the wind of the upper room blow in your life and into your marriage and into your home, I'm telling you, the altar's open for you, my friend. And you don't need to be embarrassed or ashamed because anybody in here that has ever spoken tongues and received what I'm preaching about can stand and tell you with no regrets and no compunction that they are glad that they're a child of the living God. When they stumbled out of the upper room, 120 of them stumbled out there intoxicated on the Holy Ghost. We often are left with the idea of thinking there were a lot of visitors in town that said, Lord, look at all of what's going on. They're speaking in our tongues. But the Bible said, and I went back and read it afresh this morning, brother boy, the Bible said they were devout men, Jews that dwelt in Jerusalem. They might have been from somewhere else. But Jerusalem was their home now. And 120 of your brethren stumbled out there and began to speak with tongues. And they saw that. And these onlookers said, these are speaking in our own tongue. The wonderful works of God. You know what I begin to think about? Whenever they said these are the wonderful works of God. They live there now. Keep in mind, they lived there. So they knew Peter. And they knew Mary. And they knew the apostles. They knew them. They knew the other people of the 120 because they lived there. And these men that had never tasted from this well of salvation, that never had their cup filled the blessing of God, these men were now saying, these are the wonderful works of God. You know what it dawned on me, and this is something I have, I've never seen before, and this is what I love about the Bible. Every time you go back, it's something brand new. 
It is indeed a living book. It's easy to love somebody that you don't know. But a lot of times when you get to know somebody, they can make it challenging for you to continue to love them. These men knew this 120. They knew Peter's infidelity just a few days ago when he said, I don't know who he is. They might have known the unfaithfulness or maybe the sin of adultery or some other carnal sin in some of these lives of these men and now here they are with the veil of God's glory on them speaking in tongues something that's undeniable and experience that they just can't explain but they can't explain it away either. I know who they are. I saw a man just a couple of years ago Every two days, he would polish off a whole fifth of vodka. Cigarettes, party life, money flowing in, money flowing out. Very resourceful amount, may I say. But one day, God began to bring back to his memory. 47 years ago, when he heard his mama praying, and thanking God that he had filled her cup. And he walked back into the house of the Lord one night with his mind made up that it's altar time and I'm repenting tonight. Whether my wife comes or whether she doesn't come, I'm giving it back to God. For 47 years, he lived apart from truth and apart from hearing anybody pray and anybody preach and anybody sing. But one day he got weary with his cup being empty and he made it back to God's house. Friend, I'm telling you, whatever it is, whatever it is in your life, God can take care of it right here tonight whether it be some carnal sin, whether it be some secret addiction, whether it be a, just a problem with life that you can't deal with anymore, if you feel like your plate is so full, you can't cope. God wants to replenish your cup of blessing today. I think that sooner or later, the people of God can get to that point in their life when they stumble out of their upper room. And rather than going to the world, and I know we're commissioned to do that by the Bible, and I know the apostles done that. But before we can ever get to the world, the world has come to us saying, tell me what I've got to do to be saved. Tell me what I've got to do to get my cup full of God's blessing. Holy God, help us today. Help us today. Would you stand with me? There's nothing that I take great, greater delight in than sharing the gospel with somebody, telling them about the blessing of God. When they're sick, to pray for them. and Watch those tears flow as they feel the spirit of the Lord around them. But I think something that would be all the more greater is when the world would come to us and say, I've been seeing you 
and you don't know who I am, but I want what you have. How do I get what you got? You just seem to be so contented and so blessed. I got to have what you got. Friend, I want to let you know today that this altar is open for you. For you. It's for your problem. It's for your care. It's for the worries and concerns of your heart. It's for your life. It's for your marriage. It's for your children. This one is for you. These folks, these folks ain't done nothing wrong. They're just tired of life filling their plate. They're just sick and tired of everything pounding on them. And the problems that society has created, we have to be the beneficiaries of no longer. Not after today. God, fill our cup. I can be with you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.